The following message was recorded at Shades Valley Community Church in Homewood, Alabama. For more information and resources from Shades Valley, please visit us at shadesvalley.org. The scripture reading today is from Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. So I'll give you all a minute to turn there. Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with every good that you may with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. This is the word of the Lord. Let me pray for us real quick again. Um, Lord, I pray that In my weakness, you would be strong, that where I lack wisdom, you would um, let your knowledge come through. Where I lack eloquence or clarity, that uh, your words would make perfect sense. Jesus, um, thank you. Your grace is sufficient for us this morning. And if I say anything that isn't of you, I pray that that would be the time in the service where people are thinking about what they're going to get for lunch or something. In Jesus' name, amen. Uh, so, good morning. I am uh, Grant Primo. I'm an elder here at Shades. Uh, if I haven't met you yet, uh, please come and say hi to me afterwards. You may know my, Brooke, my wife, Brooke, my Brooke, who was up here uh, earlier praying for the kids and helps with the kids. She is um, by far my better half. So, if you don't know me and you've made a lot of assumptions, like I must be pretty great because I managed to get her to marry me, then just don't meet me and rely on those assumptions. Hopefully, I won't ruin that this morning. Um, so, about a month ago, Brad asked if I would speak this morning in the series that we're in on benedictions. And uh, I am not a preacher, I am a lawyer in my day job, but I jumped at the chance to speak this morning. Um, maybe agreed too fast. I didn't think through, like, do I have the capability or competence to preach a sermon? Um, And that's kind of in line with this problem that I have of just jumping into things without thinking, do I have the ability to do this or without any past experience, just purely based on like unearned confidence. Um, And this has been a problem for me and for the people in my life. Uh, Like the time that I decided to renovate our bathroom and it turned into a two-year bathroom renovation project. And I know Brooke was frustrated as she comes in one day, and I have a torch in one hand and a YouTube video of how to use a torch in my phone on the other hand. And I think she knew we were nowhere close to getting a finished bathroom. Um, And there was a time where I decided to uh, be a lifeguard, even though... I think most people would describe my swimming ability as maybe moderate at best. But I went to take the lifeguard test to get my certification, and you have to swim 500 yards straight. And I have never swam more than like 50 yards straight at that point in my life. So I held up the whole test as I'm like wheezing and panting on the side of the pool deck. And I think they thought they were going to have to save me from the lifeguard test. Um, And there was a time where I without any plumbing experience, thought I would fix a leaky sink at my high school and ended up flooding half of the school over the weekend while no one was there. Uh, But the the time when my 
kind of problem with jumping into things based on unearned confidence caused the most problems was when I decided I would fix this old um, gas-powered golf cart. So some of the youth has heard, have heard this story, so sorry if you're hearing it again, but a little bit of context. Um, Brooke and I got married in between my uh, sophomore and junior year, and we went to the University of Alabama, and at Alabama at that time, they had uh, some married dorm, dorms, married apartments, and you had to be married to be eligible to live in these, and you know, this probably will shock you, but they don't really save their best for the married students at Alabama. Um, these were like junky old apartments, but they were on campus, which was nice, and they shared a parking lot with this storage facility that the university owned where they threw all their old junk. Uh, so it's full of like broken desk, overhead projectors, all that kind of stuff. And sitting right outside it is this old 1960s era golf cart. Um, gas-powered, it's junky, it gets rained on all the time. But we, we had a friend, some couples who lived in this married apartments too, and my friend Britton and I decided as we walk by this golf cart that's sitting in our parking lot every day, like, hey, if we get this thing fixed up, we could drive it to class and we'll be the coolest two married guys on campus. Like, this is going to be awesome. Um, now, neither one of us has any experience in, like, small engine repair or vintage golf carts, but we were just like, hey, let's try to do it. So miraculously, we did it. We fixed this golf cart. We get it running. We had to replay, you know, go on eBay and buy all this old junk, but we got it running. And first day we get it running, we're driving it around the parking lot a couple times, take it out, drive it around the block a few times, park it back. And we're like giddy. We're like, okay, this is awesome. Let's come up with a schedule of who's going to drive it when, who's going to go to class, and where we're going to park it so we can switch it off. And we don't notice that a University of Alabama police officer is now pulling up very fast to where we're standing in the parking lot. Um, but the police officer gets out and starts yelling at us, and we're noticing now that something is going astray. And the police officer is like, get on the ground, lay down, put your hands behind your back, and cuffs us. And we're like starting to freak out. So we're laying on the ground with our hands cuffed. He's screaming at us about this golf cart, and we stole a golf cart, and what are we doing? And at this point now, there's, there's more police officers who pulled up. There's like several more cars that have pulled up a little ways away, and we're kind of just freaking out. I've been accepted to law school at this point, and I'm thinking, they're going to like revoke my you know, offer to law school. My friend Britton has been accepted to seminary, and he probably thought he was okay. They have to forgive you there, I think. Um, but we're still, nonetheless, kind of freaking out, laying on the ground. The cop is over talking to these other police officers, and now a black SUV pulls up, and a lady in, like, a business suit and sunglasses talking on the cell phone gets out, and I'm like, all right, the feds are involved. This just, this got even worse. And I, I mean, I'm, things are racing through my head about getting waterboarded and like what is going on. And I have no idea what's happening because all we did was drive a golf cart. But the cop comes back over, takes the cuffs off of us and sits us down on the curb. And he's like, all right, this is your lucky day. They're not going to press charges. And I'm like, okay, this is good. But I've had all these emotions and I kind of freak out. And I'm like, lose my cool. And I look at the police officer and I say, well, well good. Well, like, What's the problem? What did we do? All we did was drive a junky old golf cart. What's the big deal? And the, the police officer looks at me. And mind you, this is a University of Alabama police officer on Alabama campus. And he looks at me and he says, son, that was Bear Bryant's golf cart. 
And I'm like, oh, okay. This, now this makes sense. And then I remember that, yeah, we drove right past the Bryant Museum in this golf cart, just flaunting that we have, you know, desecrated Bear Bryant's golf cart and stole, stolen it. Uh, it was a mess. So luckily we got off without any problems, but, uh, you know, don't mention to anyone that you know at the Bryant Museum that we, like, installed a push-button starter and stuff in this. I don't think they like that. I actually saw a picture of Bear Bryant driving around Gerald Ford, like President Gerald Ford, in this very golf cart later. So this is, I'm basically famous, I guess. Um, so what does my foolish, unearned confidence have to do with benedictions? Well, today I want to talk about how I think the benediction in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21 promises us unearned confidence, not based on ourselves, but based on the work of Jesus and unearned confidence that we can do the good works that that God has set before us. And maybe this is uh, bad preaching, I don't really know, but I'm just going to give away the ending. I think this blessing is meant to empower us to do good works as we go through our weeks by reminding us that it's God who gives us the power to do the good works. So we don't have to rely on our own strength or our own goodness or our own ability, Um, that because of the, the covenant of God's grace, we have the Holy Spirit living in us, we have new identities in Christ, and we can have this unearned confidence that we can do good works uh, because God promises to provide everything we need uh, to do those good works. Um, Before we go much further, though, I want to recap how Brad defined uh, benedictions last week. I think that's really helpful, um, a way to understand the purpose of the, the benediction here. So, What is a benediction? Um, As Brad talked about last week, benedictions are God-given words of blessing. They take God's promises and recast them as expected blessings, and in this way, shape our view of ourselves, our view of the world, our view of each other. So a benediction is not an abstract set of commands, but should leave us empowered It's not kind of a trite or vapid saying, um, but is uh, meant to give us substantive hope. Um, And a benediction isn't a farewell, but a reminder of God's continual presence, that that God goes with us as we leave. So with that framework, I want to spend the rest of our time this morning, which I promise is short, talking about the promises of expected blessings they're contained in this passage in Hebrews 13, 20 through 21. So if you have your Bibles and you want to pull up that passage again, or um, if you have your phone, search up Hebrews 13, 20. That's what my kids say. They don't say like Google it or search for something. They say search up. Like, hey, dad, can you search up Minecraft on YouTube? I don't know where this came from. But search up Hebrews on your, on your Bible app, and we'll read it together. It says in verse 20, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight, through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. Okay, so there's a lot packed into that one run-on sentence. Um, In my job as a lawyer... What's helpful for me when I'm trying to understand like a statute from 1820 is to kind of break down um, complex 
language like this into more digestible parts. And so that's what I want to do here by looking at breaking it down into kind of three sections, the who, the what, and the how. So who's making this promise? You know, what does this say about who God is? What is the blessing or the promise that's given to the church? And how is that supposed to empower us? So first, I want to talk about what these verses say about who God is. The description of who God is, I think, sets up the whole rest of the benediction. It's the foundation of the rest of it, the foundation of the promise, because without, uh, if you can't rely on the, the promisor, what good is the promise? Um, so let's look back at verse 20. It says, Now may the God of peace, who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep. Let's stop there. We actually have a couple who's, I think, packed in here for the price of one. The first who is the God of peace. And I love that the starting point of this benediction is this promise of peace. Um, If you look back through the rest of Hebrews, um, and even later in this verse, I think it's clear the author here is speaking about peace between you and God because of what Jesus did on the cross emphasizing here that God made a way for peace and reconciliation between himself and sinners. In Romans 5.1, Paul, who used God of peace language a lot, um, he expands on this a bit, saying, Therefore, since we have been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The promise of our justification gives us peace with God, and that's the first reminder we have here of who this this good promisor is. The second aspect of God that this verse emphasizes is God's ultimate power. So look at it. It says, Now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus. So we have not only a God who made peace with us, um, but we have a God who has Uh, this power over death itself. Uh, This is a reminder of the the powerful activity of God seen ultimately in the resurrection of Christ. If God's power can't be constrained by even death, you know, one of the most final things in our world, um, what could possibly escape his power, right? So the second reminder of who God is is that he has the power here to do what he's promising. We have a God of peace who's at peace with us, who has this immense power. And then lastly, almost in contrast to the immensity of God's power, we have this description of Jesus um, as the great shepherd of the sheep. And I think this imagery here is meant to show us the tenderness of Jesus as a shepherd, caring for and guiding his sheep. And also, um, you know, our status as sheep. Um, It stresses Jesus' care for his flock, his sovereignty, and I think should give us peace that we have uh, a tender Savior who, who watches over us and cares for us. So we start this benediction by laying the foundation of who's making the promise that we're later evoking. A God that's brought us peace, who has this immeasurable power to do what he's promising here, um, and is also tenderly caring for us, tenderly caring for his flock. And these characteristics are the foundation for what is to come, but I think in and of itself, that should give us some comfort as we go through our weeks, just knowing this good God that we have. So the next part of the benediction I want to look at is really kind of the heart of this benediction, um, the what. What is being promised here? What's the promised blessing that we're praying for in this benediction? 
Look at uh, verse 21. So we have uh, the who, God of peace, who's promising to equip you with everything good that you may do his will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight. Now that's a good promise, right? Um, think about what that is saying and the implications of it. God is promising here to equip you, you know, meaning, I think, literally to make you fit or complete to do his will. He is supplying everything that you need to do his will, and he is working in you to make you pleasing in his sight. That's good news, that God provides everything we need to do his will is such a weight off. God's not asking you to equip yourself. This doesn't say, go equip yourself, and then God will be at peace with you. He's doing it. He's the one who's making you pleasing in his sight. Despite my unearned confidence in things like bathroom renovations and um, vintage golf cart repair, I often have little confidence, though, that I can do the good works God has called me to, that I can follow his will or be pleasing to him. And then I think my actions bear out that lack of confidence. I speak unkindly to my children or my wife because I don't think I can control my temper. I don't take the time to comfort or encourage someone who's struggling because I don't think I have the words to say. I don't put the needs of others before my desires because I think I can't break free from selfishness. I know in my own strength, and this is borne out by example after example in my own life, that I don't have what it takes in and of myself to do those things. You know, in modern society, I think heightens this with social media, as Western society gets less and less religious, it seems to get more and more legalistic. Um, even if you don't follow or care about the Old Testament law and the Bible, you know, Instagram and Twitter have a whole other set of laws for you, and let me tell you, their burden is not light. Um, I worry sometimes even about like silly things, like I'm going to buy the wrong cup, and I'm going to be carrying this cup, and somebody's going to look at me, and they're going to be like, I can't believe you bought that cup. Don't you know that they club baby seals and take the baby seal's BPA out and make the cup with that, with that baby seal BPA? How dare you? I don't know what BPA is, but I, I know you're bad if you like it, so. It's about as far as I know. But anyway, we have all this this law, even beyond just the Bible, we have all these things where we, we can feel this pressure. Have you felt that pressure? Have you felt incapable of, of measuring up? Have you felt the impossibility of, of doing the good that God has called you to in your own strength? Felt like an imposter trying to do it? Have you tried in your own strength and failed again and again and again. I felt that way. And for me, it leads to either shame or excuses. Um, you know, I think, okay, let me just get things back fixed up. Uh, I'll get myself cleaned back up and then I can go back to God. You know, it creates this distance between me and God that I put on it myself. Um, 
You know, I almost get this warped view that God is like some mystical dentist in the sky and I gotta go enough days of consecutive flossing before I can go to a visit. But look at this prayer, it's the opposite of that. You don't equip yourself, it's God who's equipping you. It's God who's making you pleasing in his sight. As Paul puts it in Philippians 2.13, it's God who works in you both to will and to work for his good pleasure. So that's good news. That is a good promise. That's something we can cling to as we go through our weeks, this reminder that it's not ourselves. It's not your own strength or your own power that is doing this. We can have unearned confidence that we can do those good works, that we can do God's will because the strength and ability to do those good works doesn't come from us. It comes from this God who's at peace with us. This God who has immeasurable power and who is a tender shepherd caring for you. So you may be saying, okay, great, but how? You know, how, how does he empower me to do good works? And if it's God who's doing all this, what am I supposed to do? Well, I'm glad you asked because I think this answers that. Let's, um, let's read back through this benediction uh, one more time, looking at the whole thing. So it says, now may the God of peace who brought again from the dead our Lord Jesus, the great shepherd of the sheep, by the blood of the eternal covenant, equip you with everything good that you may do as will, working in us that which is pleasing in his sight through Jesus Christ, to whom be the glory forever and ever. Amen. So if you're paying attention, there are only two parts of this we really haven't talked about, so you can probably guess what the how is. Those two parts are by the blood of the eternal covenant and through Jesus Christ. And I think that's the answer here to how God does this amazing work of empowering you to do his will through Jesus Christ and the covenant of grace that he enacted through his sacrifice on the cross. I know that phrase, the blood of the eternal covenant, it sounds like the subtitle to like a bad vampire movie, but the covenant being referred to in, in very simplistic terms is God's promise sealed by Christ's death on the cross that he will forgive our sins, restore right relationship with his people by imputing the righteousness of Christ on us, and give us new hearts, make us new creations in Christ. And there's a ton to unpack here about the new covenant. In fact, the bulk of Hebrews is spent kind of unpacking this new covenant. So we're going to go through all of that. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just going to hit the high points. Um, as background, and if you look back through Hebrews, uh, the new covenant here that's being referred to is contrasted with the old covenant of the law that came through Moses. That covenant being do good, get good, keep the law, and God will be pleased with you. All this kind of embodied by the Ten Commandments and the law. Um, but with the new covenant, it's not based on what we do but based on what Christ did. We're justified by faith, not by works. So the real good news of the gospel, though, is that God's grace, Christ's sacrifice on the cross, not only provides our justification, but it provides our sanctification as well, the power to live out God's commandments. That's what Brad spoke about last week. I think a, a poem attributed to John Bunyan it kind of does a good job of very simplistically describing this, uh, this contrast between the old and the new. 
It says, run, John, run, the law commands, but gives neither feet nor hands. Better news the gospel brings. It bids me fly and gives me wings. If you look at Hebrews chapter 8, it gives a great summary of the new covenant. Starting in, in verse 10, it says, I will put my laws into their minds and write them on their hearts, and I will be their God, and they shall be my people. And they shall not teach each one his neighbor and each one his brother, saying, Know the Lord, for they all shall know me, for I will be merciful towards their iniquities, and I will remember their sins no more. If you look at Ephesians 2.10, it says we are Christ's workmanship, created in Christ Jesus for good works, which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. And later in Ephesians, Paul prays about the power at work within us, praying that we would be strengthened with power through his spirit in our inner being. And then in Titus, verse 14, it describes the power that God provides through this new covenant this way. It says that Jesus gave himself for us to redeem us from all lawlessness and to purify for himself a people for his own possession who are zealous for good works. Again, this is describing the work that Jesus does for us. It's not saying what we do for him. He redeemed us. He purified us. He made us zealous for good works. You see, the new covenant comes with the Holy Spirit's enabling power. The law written on our hearts, this new identity in Christ, new creations in Christ. See 2 Corinthians 5.17, which says those who are in Christ are completely new. And it's through the power of the Holy Spirit that we're enabled to to live our lives, to live out God's will. So, if this new covenant and Christ's work in me accomplishes all this, you know, what is my part? What am I supposed to do? I think, firstly, it's to repent, meaning uh, to change our minds. Uh, You know, the word metanoia in the Greek is used a lot, which means to to change your mind. And a lot of times that's translated as repent. I heard you're supposed to say something about a Greek work when you preach. So, so metanoia, that's my Greek word for this week. Um, but, but yes, to change our mind about the way we think about ourselves and the way we think about good works. Instead of working out of strife to please God, working to try to earn some blessing, believe that any good works you do are because Christ has given you the strength to do them. And they're an overflow of God's love for you. Instead of seeking to prove your worth in the world and your accomplishments, renew your mind to the greater truth of your helplessness and your dependence on Christ's accomplishments rather than things you try to do to gain your own identity. You know, your part is to be a lamb. He's the shepherd. This change in perspective uh, may not seem significant, but... It was hugely impactful in my life, I know. It was the difference between being burnt out and having joy, having, feeling like I actually can do these things, not because of my own strength, but because of what I believe Christ has promised to do for me. So I think our part is to change our mind about our work, to take up that unearned confidence that we can do good works because This God of peace with his supreme power and tender care for us has equipped us to do those good works. You know, we're free. We're empowered to do them. Do you believe that? 
Do you have faith that even though in your own strength you can't do it, even though in yourself you're not zealous for good works, do you believe that God has done this miraculous work in you? You know, if not, then renew your mind, because this is the truth. And I know we've talked a lot about belief and not a lot about action, but I think this belief and this changing your mind naturally results in action. If you believe you're capable of doing these good works, you're going to do them. Um, so it doesn't mean a lack of activity. Matter of fact, it, it might mean more activity. It's just this uh, change in, in perspective and belief that the Holy Spirit has empowered us to do this. And I don't know if that makes any sense, but I think, um, thankfully, Wendell Berry it put it in a poem really better than I ever could. Um, and this is called Whatever is Foreseen in Joy. And I want to read this to you as I close because I think it's a great kind of poetic description of this concept, that it's God's power that accomplishes our work um, as we partner with him and go on with this unearned confidence that the God of peace has empowered us to do all these good works. So let me, let me read this poem as I close. It says, Whatever is foreseen in joy must be lived out from day to day. Vision held open in the dark by our 10,000 days of work. Harvest will fill the barn. For that, the hand must ache, the face must sweat. And yet... No leaf or grain is filled because of work of ours. The field is tilled and left to grace. That we may reap, great work is done while we're asleep. When we work well, a Sabbath mood rests on our day and finds it good. Let me pray for us. God, thank you that even though in ourselves, in our flesh, we're incapable of of doing the good works you've called us to. It, it's not up to us. It's not up to ourselves. We don't have to gird ourselves up or rely on our own strength or ability or goodness. No, you've provided everything we need to do good works. You've given us the Holy Spirit and the power that enables us to do the things you've called us to. So Lord, I pray you would renew our minds to believe that. I pray that um, you would help us to remember, as this benediction says, that you have equipped us with everything good. And Lord, you have made us pleasing in your sight. Thank you, Jesus. Thank you so much for your, your, the covenant that you accomplished for us. God, that gives us this power. Thank you that you are at peace with us. And we know and we can have confidence that you love us, that you're with us, that you're for us, and that you've given us the power um, to live out your will. And Lord, I pray that as we go through our weeks, as we, as we work in the power that you have provided, that a Sabbath mood would rest on our day and that it would... Uh, be found good. It's in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.